Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. I'm Allison Hutchinson. I'm a senior estate planner focusing on estate planning at Brown Brothers Harriman in New York City. It was a slow burn for me. I never thought of myself as a feminist or someone who's really focused on these issues, but our Center for Women and Wealth has highlighted a number of issues, both within the industry, fairness and equality, and a lack of a female voice, as well as in the client service for the wealthy women we are serving. So it's been a long road, and it wasn't one that I was focused on until our Center for Women and Wealth brought it to my attention. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal helping women empower themselves financially. Welcome to the Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast, a look at powerful female leaders and the secrets to their success. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli, filling in for Veronica Dagger. On this special episode, we'll be talking about financial literacy and money management, and of course, the specific challenges women face. Joining me are my colleague, Wall Street Journal reporter Anne Turgeson, and Allison Hutchinson, Senior Vice President of Private Wealth Management for financial services firm Brown Brothers Harriman. Allison, I'd like to start with your story. You worked in private legal practice before joining Brown Brothers Harriman in 2012. What set you on your career path? That's a good question, and it's one that I'm still figuring out to this day. I've been in the private banking ecosystem for over 15 years now. Private legal practice was incredibly interesting in the beginning, learning how to construct estate plans for wealthy women and men, families. But after about six years, I moved over to the advisory side in order to have a more holistic approach to estate planning, so less of a focus on just purely tax-driven strategies and more on values, wealth, families, and as I said, a holistic approach to the planning. And are there particular challenges that you faced as a woman? The group, I started at Simpson, Thatcher, and Bartlett here in the city, and the group was actually almost 100% women, which was an amazing accomplishment for a white shoe law firm in the city. The the statistics were more 50-50 across the board. So not especially there. In fact, it seems like they were recruiting women for that department. We tended to like to work with families as opposed to on the large corporate transactions. Moving over into Brown Brothers Harriman, I think you've probably probably heard the statistics before. Financial advisors are 83% male. The average age is 55. So I do stick out a bit at Brown Brothers, but we're focused on diversity. And so we're looking to, to hire more women and diverse candidates. So how did issues of financial literacy become so important to you? It was a slow burn for me to answer that question. I never thought of myself as a feminist or someone who was really focused on these issues, but our Center for Women and Wealth has highlighted a number of issues, both within the industry, fairness and equality, and a lack of a female voice in the financial services industry, as well as in the client service for the wealthy women we are serving. Are the women invited to our meetings? Are they asked specific questions at the table? Are we addressing silly things like addressing our emails to, to 
the man and the woman in, in a heterosexual relationship. So it's it's been a long road, and it wasn't one that I was focused on until our Center for Women and Wealth brought it to my attention. And this brings us to the particular challenges that women face, and I want to open this up to Anne as well, who has certainly encountered this in her reporting. What are some of the specific challenges that women face when it comes to financial planning and setting money management goals? At Brown Brothers, what we've found in some of the studies that we've seen are that women tend to ask fewer questions. And and when we've dug into the details of that with uh, in conjunction with Babson and a study that we did on women and wealth, it was not because women knew less about finances. It was a bit of a confidence gap. And I don't mean that in any sort of a demeaning way, that women are less confident for, for that reason. It's it's more that women know the same amount of financial or have this women have the same amount of financial acumen as men, but they have a little less confidence when it comes to a meeting with a number of professional advisors who have read books, who have gone to school on the topic. They feel like they'd rather be listeners in that scenario than interjecting and interrupting people. So that was that was a, an interesting finding and one that I try to be conscious of when we are in a meeting with a number of different parties, asking, pausing, checking in and saying, does that make sense? Do you have any questions? Is that your experience? And not just assuming that everyone doesn't have a question because they're not interrupting. I mean, I think a big challenge for women is, you know, they're twofold. One is that I think more women have career interruptions than men do. And so, you know, it's well documented that that women earn less money than men who are in comparable positions. And I think, you know, that's a big reason why. So uh, in addition to that, women live longer, three to four years longer on average. So you've got sort of both things counting against you in terms of your own personal financial savings. And these are things that need to be planned for both by single women and by women who are part of couples. Women seem to have a smaller circle of friends and family to speak to about financial matters. So the anecdote that I've heard a couple of times is that a man will be on the golf course and talking stocks with his caddy. Whereas, and there are statistics on this, that women will have four to five people in their circle. Our advisors at Brown Brothers become much more important then because we're not one voice in a sea of 20 to 25 where we're all talking finance for a lot of our female clients, we are one of very few that they're speaking to about these matters. So that's a challenge for women, I think. It's a le- less of a diversity of opinion. Certainly, we've come very far from even a generation or two ago. I can remember my grandparents' generation. Financial decisions were typically left to the man of the house, and that wasn't even so long ago in the 1950s. But it sounds like we still have some more work to do. That's right. A lot of our clients, however, are female business owners, CEOs, women who even inherited a family business. And And in my experience, they are true stewards of wealth. And once they sell the business, they do focus on the financial decision making. Why are we doing what we're doing? What is the means to the end here? They they don't really see the money as money for money's sake. And making the financial decisions, they say, okay, this is just something to get me the blueberry farm, the home for my family where everyone will come back. So those women, I think, are ahead of the game. But to your point, a lot of the female clients that I see come in have either recently divorced and are here by themselves for the first time and are very concerned about their own financial acumen and inheritors of wealth because they've outlived husbands and haven't been brought to the table prior. So they're switching advisors because they didn't have a connection to that prior firm. I've been speaking with Wall Street Journal reporter Ann Turgeson and Allison Hutchinson, Senior VP of Private Wealth Management at Brown Brothers Harriman. Coming up, we'll talk about planning for retirement. This is the Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast.
Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Spend time with Alexa? Then make What's News part of your flash briefing on the Amazon Echo, the Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. And you've certainly covered this in your reporting, but there are specific challenges for women when it comes to retirement planning. I think, you know, as I said before, a lot of it has to do with the fact that women don't earn as much on average. And then, you know, they they have had career breaks, so that can actually contribute to lower Social Security as well as lower, you know, pension and 401k savings. And women tend to live longer, and they tend to experience, you know, greater periods of disability at the end of life. So you have longevity working against you in, in that sense. So there are there are a fair number of retirement challenges for women. I mean, they, they need to think about how, how to save more, really. Right. And of course, the pay gap factor is in there in terms of how much women have to plan for savings. I actually looked up some data on this, and this came out in 2016, but the National Institute for Retirement Security found that women are 80% more likely than men to be impoverished in retirement. Why is that? Yeah, I think it, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that well, the, you know that single women in general don't probably don't earn as much, and that for married women, I think a lot of couples don't adequately plan for the survivor. I mean, I know I, I have had relatives, male relatives who were the higher earners, who've said to me, "I'm just going to take Social Security at 62 because I'm afraid you know I'm going to die young." Well, never mind the fact that they didn't die young, <laughs> but you know, secondarily, doing so doesn't really doesn't really keep the, the survivor in mind. So when you are you know deciding when to claim Social Security, you need to think not just about yourself, but if you're part of a couple, you need to think about the surviving person. And you need to, the, the higher earner really should be maximizing his or her Social Security, not only, you know, for their income during their lifetime, but for the fact that, you know, when when one member of a couple dies, the other the survivor inherits the higher Social Security benefit. So you really do need to maximize that. You know, if you have a younger, you know, often there's a two or three year gap on average between men and women in a marriage. So you've got the woman is, you know, three years younger to start with. And then on average, women outlive men by three to four years. You know, that that younger spouse could outlive you by, you know, six to eight years easily. (laughs) So I think that's something that a lot of couples really don't think through. And how does that change the advice that, Ali, you would give to a single woman versus one who is with a partner? It's a good question. On the retirement planning question for our clients, they they tend to have at least $10 million at Brown Brothers. It's a much different calculation. They do ask us questions about Social Security as well. A lot of them are very detail-oriented, specifically the women, which is nice to see. Our advice for that type of a client tends to be generational. So if you look at your pie chart of assets, some of which are retirement assets, some are real estate, some are stocks and bonds, we will help them earmark which ones are for your kids, which ones are for your grandkids. And for women who don't have children and grandchildren, we talk a lot about philanthropy. What are the tax-advantaged accounts that are best for giving to charity? And that's where these retirement accounts are hugely important. Because if you're naming a charitable institution as a beneficiary of your retirement assets, not only do you defer the income tax on those during your life, but then if you're passing some of those to charity, 
they're never paying income tax on those assets. So it's a really cool planning tool for single women, married women, all sorts who have these retirement accounts on the other end of the spectrum where they aren't going to be using them. And how can we do a better job of, speaking of passing the knowledge on from generation to generation, of improving financial literacy for people at a younger age, especially women? We do a lot of next generation programming on that, and it just has to be interesting, and it has to be dynamic and engaging and age appropriate. So we start as little as toddlers and then you're educating the parents, right? You're not educating the toddlers right away. But we do this marshmallow test. I don't know if you two have seen it, but the studies have shown that one of the key factors in financial success later in life is the ability to delay gratification. Retirement accounts, right? Putting Mm -hmm. money into your 401k. So this marshmallow test is you give a toddler a marshmallow. You tell them, I'll be back in a little bit. If you don't eat the marshmallow, you can have another one. This is a (laughs) three-year-old, right? For a three-year-old, yes. And it's on YouTube. It's adorable. You can watch it and you see these kids. And some of them are talking themselves out of it. Okay, I'm not going to eat the marshmallow. I'm going to get two. There's one with a brother and a sister. He's telling her, don't eat it. You're going to get, and she's licking it. She really wants to eat. She finally eats it and he goes, you're not going to get the second one. And the woman comes back, you know, and so so that, it, it starts that young. And it's not about your toddler failed the marshmallow test, so he's never going to go to Yale, you know. It's teaching delayed gratification which leads to autonomy. And and all the way from toddlers through, we have programs for college juniors and seniors about budgeting and how do you afford an apartment with your seven roommates and fake walls in New York City. And we put line items on our budgets like repaying student loans. Even though a lot of our clients are fortunate enough not to have to take those out, we want them to understand that a lot of other kids aren't that fortunate and so they would have that line item on there. Yeah, and I think another uh, another educational tool that people probably should especially younger people should avail themselves of is, you know, comes on your iPhone. There's a lot of apps that can be useful to people. There's one that is available through employers only that that comes to mind for me that I I really enjoyed. It's called Hello Wallet. And, you know, there's just a lot of budgeting tools on that. Even, you know, you can program some of these things to remind you of what your budgeting goals are so that if you're, you know, in Starbucks for the fifth time that day, you know, you, you, it might sort of send out some kind of reminder that you're about to breach your, you know, your limit for coffee expenditures for the month. I know that's kind of a cliched example, but, but I think, you know, some of these tools are, have gotten actually to be very sophisticated and some of them allow you to, you know, spend money and round up to the next dollar and put the difference in savings. And so there's, there's a lot of these tools that they aren't like conventional um, financial education in terms of, you know, or financial literacy in terms of, you know, classroom kind of learning. But you can, they really become much more adapted into your life because they're on your phone. And of course, we're all staring at our phones all the time. That's true. For better or worse. And I wonder, I do have to ask about the tax overhaul and how that may change or impact advice to people looking to put away savings and thinking about retirement. And I know you wrote a, an article recently about how to maximize your contributions to your 401ks. So this fall, there was a lot of discussion about capping tax tax breaks for 401ks, that didn't come about. So, you know, in fact, you know, people, the status quo for the rules governing 401ks and IRAs are the same. People don't have to do anything differently. However, if you think about it, a lot of people's tax rates are lower. So things like conversions from regular traditional IRAs to Roth IRAs, if you're, you know, in the top tax bracket, maybe you didn't want to kind of spend the 40% that you would have to in order to to convert. Well, now, you know, you may be, you may find yourself in a lower tax bracket. There, There may be some 
attractive opportunities to do that kind of thing. As that article that you referred to pointed out, there's a lot of opportunities that people aren't aware of for possibilities of saving more. For example, Ali, you probably see this, you know, when you have one spouse who earns income, the other spouse who's not working, actually the working spouse is entitled to set up an IRA for the non-working spouse and make contributions on his or her part. And I heard from a lot of readers where it's not just the, the conventional scenario where you've got the husband who has the career and the wife who stays at home. No, in, in fact, it's the wife who's now working and the husband who's retired. Well, that's an opportunity to, to do that as well. And, and these are things that don't occur to people. If you have a side job, you can set up a SEP, or, you know, a SEP IRA or a solo 401k, and you can actually put aside a good deal of your self-employment income that way. So there's a lot of chances for people like Wall Street Journal readers love to save money and they want to know how they can go above and beyond what's in, you know, available to them in a 401k and an IRA. And there are these opportunities. And your article also pointed out the power of compounding and starting early. Another way to that our clients do this is they have these 16-year-old kids with their first jobs. They have younger children who might qualify for a Roth IRA, but to the delayed gratification point, they don't want to take their money from their first job and put it into their Roth IRA, IRA as much as their advisors would like them to do that. So some of those clients are taking advantage of the annual exclusion from gift tax, and they will give that money to their children who are younger on the condition that they take those funds and they contribute to a retirement account or another tax-favored vehicle, whether it's maxing out their 401k at their first professional job, whether it's funding a, a Roth uh, or a regular IRA account, something that they wouldn't normally do as opposed to just using this gift tax exemption, giving it to the children or putting it in a trust where they can't take advantage of it, encouraging them to save in a tax-advantaged way. When it comes to planning for a survivor, there's a lot of opportunities. I'm sure Ellie can speak to this as well, although your demographic, your clientele is clearly very wealthy. But, you know, it's not just about maximizing Social Security. You know, for example, if one person has a pension, you might have choices between taking a joint, a lower benefit that lasts the lifetime of both people. It's called a joint and survivor or a single life, which is higher. So the temptation, of course, is to take the single life. But really, people, couples need to think about the joint and survivor. They need to think about things like life insurance, again, for the survivor. So there's a lot that goes beyond just Social Security planning. And I just want to mention also that there's some very good tools on the internet. Some of them are free, but frankly, I found the best ones, you know, cost somewhere between $20 and $40, where you can just run your scenario. What is my optimum Social Security claiming strategy? And I think for spouses, that can really help because there are thousands of potential strategies that, that married couples can use. Great. Well, Anne, Allie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this special episode of The Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli in New York. Time now for your secrets. I'm Allie Hutchinson, Senior Estate Planner at Brown Brothers Harriman. My money secret is always remembering that money is a means to an end and focusing on what I want the money to do for me. Thanks for listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. Host Veronica Dagger will return shortly with all new episodes and new guests. If you have a secret you'd like to share, please write podcasts at DowJones.com. Provide your first name and let us know where you're writing from. Again, that's podcasts at DowJones.com. The Secrets of Wealthy Women podcasts from The Wall Street Journal. Helping women empower themselves financially.